Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We're your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. Welcome to episode number 72 of History for Weirdos. Welcome back, weirdos. We're glad to have you here. And for those listening on the day this comes out, happy Martin Luther King Day in the United States. Yes, quite a prolific man. Very, very important to American history. Absolutely. I actually wanted to share a quick MLK quote. He's often quoted all the time, like we see it all the time, but this is one I hadn't heard until today. So I wanted to share a quote just to honor Martin Luther King. The quote is, It's a cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. Wow, I feel like that really speaks to our entire generation, honestly. Yeah, I think he like, that's such a succinct way of identifying the big issues with this fake concept of, you just need to work harder. Yeah, because that's, it's not true. It's Speaking from someone who works absurdly hard at their job, it does it helps, but not as much as you'd think. Yeah, so I think that's a very timeless quote, and I wanted to share that with you all. Um, and then one more thing on my end before Andrew gets into the amazing episode that I'm sure he has planned for us. Absolutely. I wanted to recommend something that is not new. <laughs> I know, I know what you're going to say. Any stretch of the imagination, but I recently read... Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None. And it is so good. It's definitely keeps up with modern audiences. Like, it's very engaging and entertaining, even though I think it came out in, like, 30, 1939. Yeah, I know it takes place in 1939. And it was, it was, like, it was released around that time. Yes. And it's just such a good book. If you're into mystery, suspense, a little bit of a psychological thriller, I think you would like it. I read it and I thought of the weirdo community. So yes. I, this is very old. It's not new, but it was new to me. And, you know, weirdos, I will point out that she forced me to watch the limited series about that book. I did. And I'm not going to lie. It was actually, it was pretty good. It was really good, I'd say. Yeah, I think. But you said we, the book was far better. The book was so much better. The limited series was really good. Where did we stream it? I don't know. They have it on Prime for sure. Um... But I think we streamed it on Acorn or something. Yes, I believe we did, yeah. And it is like just three or four episodes. Mm -hmm. And it's a very well done adaptation. And still, like, it doesn't compare with Agatha Christie's writing. Um, So I highly recommend it, weirdos. I think you'd like it. Absolutely. Okay. And next, my love, you have an episode for us today. I do indeed. And I actually really liked this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, good. Yes. I'm glad you're not giving us a crap. Anymore. <laughs> I guess I like all my episodes. But this one, I think, specifically spoke to me because this is about a multi-passionate person. And weirdos, I don't know if we've ever really mentioned this, but we are both very multi-passionate. I have a feeling a lot of the folks that listen are as well. Yes. Sometimes I've seen on Instagram a lot of our listeners have really cool like businesses or art endeavors or they like review books Mm -hmm. so definitely a multi-passionate crowd yeah (laughs) so 
without further ado, I'm going to talk about an actress who is actually very prolific during the Hollywood Golden Age. And she also helped propel humanity into the first 21st century technologically. Wow, not a not a big deal at all. And right, and when I say she was a big deal in Hollywood, like she was like the girl, like mm-hmm. in the, the late 30s and 40s. Oh, like cool. Like the it girl, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Yeah, no, they, that's a phrasing that's been used before, like the it person. Yeah, basically. and I mean, it makes sense. You look back and you're like, oh, wow, she is, she was incredibly beautiful, mm-hmm. even by today's standards, so... Okay, so but it sounds like it's not just her beauty. It's it's her beauty gonna... and her brains, <laughs> and she was also an amazing artist. So oh wow, yeah. Who well, is ar- this? Artist as an actress, but yeah. Oh actor. okay. Um, so we're going to be talking about the life and work of Hedy Lamar. Okay, so you need to credit the person who recommended this episode to you. It was your father. Yeah. <laughs> yes, TJ. Thank you very much. <laughs> For giving us the idea for this episode. I was When he said that, I was like, wow, that's a really good idea. And I will point out, there was a listener who I was conversing with over Instagram, and I'm so sorry, I lost the message, and I don't I, I don't remember the, the individual's name. But he also pointed this out just like a few days after I had spoken with TJ. About oh, really? It. Right. And I said, hey, great minds think alike. Just wait around for about a few weeks. And so here we are. Okay, so this is a a good recommended person. I'm excited to hear why. Exactly. Oh, and I I didn't mention she also helped sort of defeat the Nazis. So there's that too. That's a big one, babe. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? It's just like, oh yeah, by the way, that's like, she did that too. Okay, let's get into it. So she was born on November 9th, 1914. And Hetty is actually a nickname for her full first name. Okay, what's her name? Any guesses? For Hedy? Hedy, H-E-D-Y. Um, Hel- Hel- Hildegard is what came to mind, but that wouldn't make sense. No. You're going to love this. It's Hedwig. Like the bird? Like the bird, the owl, and Harry Potter, yes. Hedwig? I wonder if J.K. Rowling got that from... Anyways, but yeah, it's Hedwig. Oh my god, I've never ever heard that as a name outside of Harry Potter. That's incredible. <laughs> I hadn't either. And I, I read that. I was like, oh my God, Stephanie is going to freak. Wow. That's what we're going to name our, our daughter for sure. I veto that so hard. <laughs> <laughs> so she was born Hedwig Eva Maria Kiesler in Vienna, Austria to a well-off family. Her father was a banking director and her mother was a pianist. Wow. So she had some really interesting, like almost conflicting yet complimentary influences in her early life. Mm-hmm. So her father, Emil, would often take Hetty on long walks where he would discuss the inner workings of like different machines, uh, like the printing press or streetcars. Oh, that's sweet. He would take her on walks to talk about how machines work? Yes, and like the inner workings of it. Um, apparently, and Lamar, she showed very great aptitude, I think, from a very early age. In fact, at at five years old, she started to take apart her, and reassemble her music box to understand how the music or the machine operated. That's incredible. Yeah. I had a music box at that age too, and that never occurred to me. No, no. Yeah, at five years old? No, not at all. Kind of wild, actually. Yeah, when I read that, I was like, that's a gifted child, geez. Yes. And meanwhile, her mother, Trudy, or Trude, it's T-R-U-D-E, she would guide her in the arts Um you know, being that she was a concert pianist. She enrolled Hetty actually in piano lessons and in ballet at an early age. Nice. Yeah, and 
we do know that at some time point in her youth, she became obsessed with theater and film. Mm. It was like a, it was a brand new kind of industry and it was the new frontier for art. So it's kind of cool. Well, not theater, obviously I've been around for thousands of years, but film. Her career in front of a camera or, you know, people came actually very early on and she won her first beauty contest at the age of 12. Oh, interesting. Yeah, we're going to leave it at that. A lot of moral implications there, but, you know, moving on. Her first foray into film actually happened when she was about either 15 or 16 years old. She was uh, taking acting classes in Vienna one day, and she forged a note from her mother and went to what's, what's called Sasha Film to get herself hired as a script girl. Wow. Yeah, and Sasha Film, by the way, was the biggest production house for film in Austria at the time. What a determined little kid. Very smart. Very, I know, very determined. She's like, I'm going to do this. Like, this is my passion, my calling. At like 15 years old, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Man, I'm 30 and I still am kind of figuring that out. <laughs> yes. Um, Hetty convinced director Max Reinhardt to put her in what would be her very first movie appearance, a film titled Money on the Street. It's the English translation. I'm not even going to attempt the German one. Okay. <laughs> it'd, it'd be so bad, it'd be embarrassing. So, it was about two years later, though, when she would gain international fame at the age of 18 years old. Wow. Yes. And it would be in a way that would kind of haunt her on and off for the rest of her life. How so? I'll get into it. So, in early 1933, she would star in a controversial movie called Ecstasy, which uh, would eventually actually be banned in both the U.S. and Germany. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, the film depicts a young woman uh, who married, who is married to an indifferent older man who just kind of, and she just wants to, you know, get away and have fun. Okay. Um, and what makes this film controversial is that it's the first non-pornographic film to not only show intercourse, but also a uh, female orgasm. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, so she's kind of groundbreaking at 18. Um, but in a way, you know, especially during this time, very conservative and would haunt her. That is so interesting that that is what makes it so controversial for the time that it is banned in two countries. In two countries, yes. That's really interesting. That yes. reminds me of something else. Also very auspicious, too, that it came out in 1933 because that's also the year that Hitler would gain power in Germany. Mm-hmm. And it would become a full-on dictator the next year. But anyways, we'll get and we will get into that. So... Oh yeah, and I also mentioned I didn't mention this, but it, she's in the nude as well. So oh, during the film, yeah, during the film, mm-hmm. yeah, that would be very, very risque for the time. Exactly, and despite the controversy, though, the movie did actually end up winning an award in Rome, uh, which would give it some amount of worldwide acclaim and notoriety. Yeah, Italians, that's right. <laughs> yeah, the Italians are like, we love this. This is great. <laughs> Yeah, they're really like leaning into their like ancient Roman heritage there. I'm sure lots of people wanted to see the film. Just yes. the controversy alone would make you curious. I looked up the synopsis and it looked fairly boring to be honest, but, but like just that scene. Exactly. Yeah. So, pretty early in on our girl's career, she was disillusioned with the film industry, so mm-hmm. she switched over to stage. Um, including winning a claim for a performance in a play about Empress Elizabeth of Austria titled Sissy. Oh my God, Empress Sissy, yeah. Yes. And not only that, she had a ton of fans just asking to be able to meet her, sending her flowers and just trying to get her attention because she was like so popular. 
Wow. Yeah. That's such a young age. There was one dude in particular that was just like absurdly insistent though. Okay. So we're going to enter one Friedrich Mondel who became enamored and obsessed. And on August 10th, 1933, they end up getting married. Wow. So fairly, fairly quickly, I might, might imagine. Yeah. Because the movie came out, Ecstasy came out in January of 1933, and, you know, there's a whole play production, and then married in August of the same year. Mm-hmm. So it's a little complicated from the beginning. Um, and I didn't mention this earlier, but Lamar's, both of Lamar's parents were of Jewish origin. Mm-hmm. And Friedrich was an arms dealer who dealt with not only Mussolini, but Hitler as well. Oh my God. Her husband? Her husband, yes. Okay. So she has Jewish descent on both sides of her family, and her husband is dealing arms with Nazis okay. and fascists. This feels like it could get very complicated. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, I literally put in my notes, can you say Oxos? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also kind of ironic given that, you know, she was two months shy of her 19th birthday, and he was 33 at the time of getting married, which is eerily similar to the plot of Ecstasy. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting that it didn't cause pause for her. Right. You're like, you don't, you don't That's see that? That's so young. It's very young. Um, and very ultra ironic, given that Mandel was very against that scene in the movie. Her husband? Yeah, her husband. He was against like just she did it. She did it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I don't well, like, like him so far. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I don't he has no so points either. in his corner. Pretty much none. He's rich. That's about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what she liked about him. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think he was also very suave, right? But mm-hmm. regardless, anyways, uh, the marriage was not very good. She would later remark... Um, that she knew very soon that I could never be an actress while I was his wife. He was the absolute monarch in his marriage. I was like a doll. I was like a thing, some object of art, which had to be guarded and imprisoned, having no mind, no life of its own. Mm. I think it was really interesting, too, that she mentioned his marriage, not our Our marriage. marriage. Yeah. I would never... Unless, like... I don't know. I, I can't ever really talk about, like, my marriage. I would have to say our marriage. Mm-hmm. It's very strange. Anyways, she was more, more or less a trophy wife for Mandel, and that just wasn't going to cut it for our girl. Yeah, that's interesting, because I told you I recently was reading an, uh, an interview, I think it's in Vogue or Vanity Fair, one of those two, with um, Mia Farrow. Oh, okay. And I didn't realize that she had married... Frank Sinatra, I think it was, when she was 19 and he was in his 30s. And she made a similar comment of just... She said it was almost like he was her father. Like, very controlling. Always told her what to do, what to wear, when she could go out, when she could not go out. Um, It's just sad because, obviously, at the time, people didn't really pause to think about a 19-year-old girl marrying a 33-year-old man. Right. But that maturity difference, the life experience difference, it really makes there be a power imbalance in the marriage. Absolutely. I'm glad she got out of it. Yeah, she did. Um, This marriage, though, I will say, wasn't a complete loss for her, as Mm -hmm. she would be included in dinner conversations regarding weaponry and wartime strategy. Oh my gosh, right, because he's an arms dealer. Yes, and these conversations were held with shady characters, including literal fascists and Nazis. 
So probably not the most comfortable, but very informative. Yes. And that would help later on. And we will get to that when we get to it. Um, But yeah, just know, listeners and our weirdos, that these conversations and understanding of tech would be used against the Axis in World War II, which is ironic. So many layers of irony here. Mm-hmm. So they're married for four years. After that, Hetty was just done. She was done with this. She heads over to London to separate herself from her, her husband and country. Good, good. Yeah. Or for the husband, at least, yeah. And what her country's dealing with, actually. So yes, very good. Exactly. And I found two accounts of how she basically ran away. Mm-hmm. She That's what she did. She wasn't like, I want a divorce. And then she did this. She was like, she'd gone in the middle of the night. Kind she of fled. Thing. She fled, exactly. So there's two accounts. The first one is, it's the more mainstream one, is that she actually dressed up as a maid. Mm-hmm. Like after a dinner party, I think, and mm-hmm. just bounced. Mm-hmm. And just kind of like incognito and played in daylight, just like, you know, headed straight to London. Right, because people, especially back then, don't look at the service staff. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. And then another account, um, which isn't as widely well spread, is that she was wearing all of her jewelry to a dinner party and then just straight up bounced like right after it as well. And then, like, ostensibly, I think a lot of the jewelry had a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Or it was worth a lot. And so she could, like, sell it. And then that's how she financed her life to get to London. Okay. So her luck, though, would change almost immediately after arriving in London. She met uh, Louis B. Mayer of MGM. So, a.k.a. Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Pictures. Wow. So, yeah, literally one of the name of MGM. Who was in Europe at the time uh, to scout scout talent. Mm Mm-hmm. And he initially offered her a, uh, a contract of $125 a week, uh, but she later, but she declined, and he upped it eventually to $500. And just so that you guys know, in today's money, that roughly translates to $2,600 and $10,500 respectively. Cool. Yeah, so she ended up basically in today's money getting like 10, over 10 grand a week. That's insane. Yeah, pretty cool. I like that. <laughs> Anyways, at the suggestion of Mare's wife, she adopted the stage name Lamar to not only distance herself from the movie Ecstasy, but mm. also to honor a silent era film actress, Barbara Lamar, whom Mare's wife actually really admired. Okay. Yeah, so that's how she got the name Lamar, even though she wasn't born with it. She rebranded. She rebranded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she arrived in Hollywood in 1938 and MGM started to market her as like the world's most beautiful woman and as an exotic, relatively unknown female from Central Europe. Mm-hmm. And I love, I put exotic in quotes because like, what does that mean? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> okay, okay. You know, pro- well, slightly problematic here. Yes. Um, and her splash into Hollywood though, uh, was felt and heard pretty much just immediately. Mm, I bet. So the, her first ever American movie, same year, 1938, is a film called Algiers. Hmm. It was actually a remake of a French movie that came out, I think, the year prior. Okay. And when Hetty first appeared on screen, people literally gasped in the movie theaters because of how breathtakingly beautiful she was. Aww. Yeah. It's That's kind of cool. crazy. Um, and I feel that her immediate success, though, almost unintentionally hurt her strangely enough. How? Uh, she began to be typecast pretty much immediately as like a foreign seductress type. Oh, that makes sense. And all of her big roles, um, she even played, I think, was it Layla in the Samson tale, mm-hmm. the biblical tale? She's like the woman that cut off the hair. Oh my gosh, I, I had to watch that in Sunday school. Yeah, that's Hedy Lamar. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Yeah, so 
Literally. Uh, it's Delilah. Delilah, thank mm-hmm. you. Layla Delilah, yeah. No, thank you, though. So it, it, it's kind of, this is sad for, I think, multiple reasons. One, it limited her, her artistic range, like, very early on. Because mm-hmm. I think she was actually a fairly good actor. Mm-hmm. Like, probably actually very good. Um, and also, like, you know, she's just known for this as this pretty face. But it's like, she's, guys, she's brilliant. Like, she is brilliant. Um, and it distracted her from her work as an inventor and scientist, which, you know, I'll get into in just a moment. So she was really underestimated. Incredibly underestimated. Admired, but underestimated. Exactly. Okay. And she would go on to appear in movies throughout the 40s and early 50s, but it would, again, it's just the same sort of scenario with Lamar being this quote-unquote ethnic femme fatale type. Wow. Hollywood. Hollywood, I know. That makes a lot of sense, though. I'm not surprised. I know. And and to be honest, it, it's kind of boring, so I'm not going to regale you guys with the, the film she's in because it's literally just rinse, repeat. Uh-huh. They did that all the time i know it's kind of just like i hate when you take a medium and like like an artistic medium and you just apply like these brutally simplistic business practices like i'm a you know i, I literally my day job's in like corporate strategy right but like art is different it needs to be different yeah that's the point and they mm-hmm. just kind of they're like oh we know this works well we know this formula works well we're just do the same thing and it's, it's like just, today with um the the marvel movies, the marvel movies <laughs> yeah. exactly what i was thinking you know not and to be to be completely honest i love the marvel movies early on and then now i'm get, i think everyone's getting to the point where it's like or how uh, they keep doing remakes of things right make something a trilogy when like the first film really could be a standalone film exactly yeah and that's kind of what happened with her unfortunately she would remark, and this is actually a pretty funny quote, um, any girl can be glamorous. All you have to do is stand still and look stupid. Yep. That definitely speaks to what they wanted from her. Yeah. And I just thought like, wow, she was so intuitive. Mm-hmm. Really. The more I researched her, the more I admired her. At the very end, we'll get into some of the controversy around her. Okay. And there is some, but overall, I think I, I definitely admire her. Um, and given her circumstances, I think it's... Some of it is... Anyways, we'll get into it. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole yet. So, at this time, to be honest with you guys, I think it... She sounded very depressed. At what time? Like, uh, like you know, around this time, like, the early 40s. Okay. Like, because, like, after she'd been typecast and everything. Mm-hmm. She would often f- remark that she felt very lonely and homesick. She would mm. avoid crowds at all costs. In fact she would wonder why fans would even want her autograph. She was just puzzled by that. Interesting. Like she didn't think, I, I, I think reading into it, she didn't feel like she was worthy of it. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a lot of self-doubt despite being, you know, a beautiful and woman and a literal genius. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to switch gears a little bit and pivot to her since she's being really smart. Mm-hmm. So being a genius... Howard Hughes literally described her as one. Mm-hmm. Um, in either n- 19, late 1938, 1939, they actually briefly dated, but remained friends. Um, Hughes admired Lamar not only for her beauty, like any straight male would, right? But he was also very interested in her intellect and admired her for it. Hughes would take her to airplane factories where she could see airplanes being built and even uh, allowed her to speak with the engineers on how they did it. Mm. and Lamar actually made a suggestion to Hughes after she did her own research on how to improve upon his existing design to make them faster so that he could sell them to like the U.S. uh, 
just the U.S. Armed Forces, I guess. I was going to say the Air Force. The Air Force didn't exist yet. Um, which Hughes actually took her advice and, and turned to her like after he heard it and said, wow, you're a genius. Mm-hmm. Um, suffice it to say, <laughs> she was very smart. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine. Obviously, from what you've shared so far, she didn't have any formal education in engineering. No, none. And for her to make suggestions on how to improve, that's insane. I know, her parents did a very good job at keeping her very like intellectually curious. Yeah. And it sounds like that might have been contributing to her depression was feeling not challenged. Yes, I think so. That's really good insight. So here's where we get into the very interesting part. So in 1940, she meets a kindred spirit of sorts at a dinner party, a fellow by the name of George Anthill. So he was from a German-American family. Okay. And he, he was best known at the time as a composer and as a musician, but he was also very interested in technology and innovation. And in fact, he was himself incredibly intelligent. Two multi-passionates. Two multi-passionates, both like who were known for like an artistic medium, but were also kind of like almost engineers and innovators in their spare time. So not only that, though, he was also, like Hetty, concerned with the looming threat of the Axis powers. Also being, you know, she was Austrian, he was German. They're like, we don't like those people. We're, we're you know, we're Americans now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, very incredibly similar profile. I thought that was really interesting. Um, and what happens next, though, is actually pretty incredible. So, they essentially developed a new communication system, which would help guide torpedoes from, like, a ship or a sub to its intended target. And the system involved what's called the use of frequency hopping, and, uh, and that happens amongst radio waves, with both the transmitter and the receiver hopping to new frequencies and synchronicity. Wow. Yeah, it, it it was it don't worry about it guys. It's just know that it's important. You don't have to understand like the concept of it. It was hard for me to like wrap my head around that mm-hmm. to be honest. The reason why though this is so crucial is because these radio waves could not be intercepted and the torpedo could arrive at its intended destination, you know, i.e. like an enemy ship. And this was something they just did and like funded just through for themselves. F- yeah, just for fun. This wasn't through a lab or anything? No. That's in, that's nuts. It's They were geniuses. That's nuts for this to be like their hobby. You know, like how some people have like a book club or something? Like <laughs> yes. Is, they're figuring out. We're developing technology for the U.S. military. Just for fun. <laughs> Just for funsies. So they were both awarded U.S. patent number 2,292,387 in August of 1942. Yay. And I'm going to quiz you guys on that number. I already forgot it. (laughs) (laughs) Failure. Okay, so for whatever reason, though, the Navy decided against the technology at the time, though they would eventually adopt it in the 1960s. Oh, my gosh. So they were literally just ahead of their time. Oh, my gosh. They would have... Imagine if they had... The Navy had been smarter and just adopted it right then and there. I don't think their technology... like their Could support it? Yeah. I think it was just too ahead of its... It's like Da Vinci, just too ahead of his time. Yes. So, but guys, and speaking of two ahead of their time, don't fret because this technology is actually insanely important for the world today. It is the fundamental building block to both GPS and Bluetooth technologies. Oh my gosh. Oh, and it gets better. This concept is also fundamental and and incredibly similar, although I think slightly different, to how Wi-Fi works. Oh my God. Imagine what those two could have done to like today or just a little bit in the future even in the 60s like yes that's nuts yes. how is this your hobby i don't know like, i don't know how wi-fi works 
I, I just know, know how Bluetooth it works. works. I just know it works, and that's all I need to know. I just know <laughs> I need to pair my devices. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not even good at that. Sometimes I need help. <laughs> I know. It's like she helped develop a technology we are literally using right now. And dear weirdo, you probably are using right now or will be using very soon. That is crazy. Yes. So in fact, though, I'm, I'm going to skip forward just a little bit just to give this one little uh, tidbit. But in 1997, she and Anthill actually received the Electronic Frontier Foundation Pioneer Award and oh. the Bulby Noss Spirit of Achievement Bronze Award. Wow. Yes. In 97? 97. They were finally recognized. Finally. Yes. These awards are given to individuals whose creative lifetime achievements in the arts, sciences, business, or invention fields have significantly contributed to society. And for and it's funny because I think for her, her art and her science and invention all contributed to the like advancement of humanity. Absolutely. So I'm like pretty jealous, to be honest. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. So although she couldn't contribute, now we're going to go move back to go back to World War II. She couldn't contribute to the war effort with her science just like in, right there. She decided to go all in on the fundraising side. That's really admirable. Yeah. She went on tour with a sailor by the name of Eddie Rhodes to sell war bonds. And it's actually kind of cute. Um, so Rhodes was in the crowd at each of Lamar's appearances, and she would call him up on stage. And she would briefly kind of flirt with him before asking the audience if she should, you know, give him a kiss. Mm -hmm. The crowd, you know, raucously would say, yes, of course. And Eddie would be like, well, enough people bought war bonds. Maybe I would. Oh. <laughs> and so after enough war bonds were purchased, she would kiss Rhodes and he would head back in the audience. And then, you know, they would do the same thing at, at other events. That's really cute. I know. I think that is. It's so like 1940s, like World War II. Like it really cutesy. is. Like cutesy, but for them, like just scandalous like, enough. Just like a hint of scandal. That's adorable. and it, it's, But it's for the war. So like no one cared. Yeah. To me, it's just incredible that... To, that for her to not be resentful, like, oh, just because I'm a woman or an actress or I'm not, like, classically trained, people aren't listening to my ideas for technology. Mm -hmm. And that she didn't turn that into resentment and give up. Right. She was like, okay, well, I am a well-known actress. People really admire my beauty, so how can I use that to help with the war? That's incredible to me. Yeah. Um, it's, it is pretty incredible. And... You know, I, I think, and what's kind of sad is like from here on out, there's going to be more and more kind of negative things. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get all the good things out first, get you guys on a high, and then now bring you down a little bit. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sorry. It had to be done though. So I'm just going to start listing a few things um, because I think it's just a little bit easier. So she had an alleged autobiography published in 1966 called Ecstasy and Me, uh -huh. um, in reference obviously to the movie Ecstasy. However, interestingly enough, she denied that she wrote it and even later sued the publisher, stating that many details were actually fabricated by the ghostwriter. Wow. Ew. Yeah. That's so gross. I know. Very weird. To publish a fake autobiography? Yes. Very, I wonder if the publisher strange. knew if it was like a scam by the publisher, if it was just the ghostwriter scamming everybody. It's so hard to tell because weirdly enough she would be sued i think the very even either later that year or the next year by someone who'd written an article in about her in 1965 um for plagiarizing his work 
So okay, that's so weird. It's so weird. So I don't think it's super important, but I just think it's just kind of a weird thing that's associated with her. It sounds like maybe parts of the uh, autobiography are her writings. Right. And parts of it are a ghostwriter. Yes. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's very convoluted and nuanced that yeah. there is no clear right answer. Mm-hmm. So in, in the same year also, she was arrested in LA for shoplifting with the charges <gasps> being dropped. Whoa. And it's not the first time. Uh, a few decades later, in 1991, actually. She you would, mean it's not the last time? It's not the last time. Sorry. Yes, mm-hmm. thank you. In 1991, she would be arrested in Florida for shoplifting $21.48 worth of eye drops and laxatives. No. Why is it eye drops and laxatives? That's I, not even, like, cool. I know. It's like, girl. That's really interesting, though, um, because you said she has this history of depression. Right. It's a, for some folks, obviously she can afford $21. Um, but I think so. For some folks, it's really the thrill seeking, the dopamine rush of That's what I was thinking. shoplifting itself. So it sounds like she might still be struggling with some sort of mental health stuff. I think so. I think so. Um, and speaking of like legal issues, uh, she also sued Warner Brothers in 1974 for using a parody of her name in the actually the iconic movie Blazing Saddles. Oh, really? Yeah, they I think they use the name uh, like Headley mm-hmm. Lamar. Like they were very clearly trying to reference her, right. Without having to like credit her. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also a few decades later in 1997, she sued a software company for using like a graphic drawn design of her like on her on their boxes. That's so weird. That was a weird situation. I don't even want to go into it because it was just like, I I didn't understand it, honestly. It just sounded so kind of like bizarre and abstract. But, you know, I think what matters is that, you know, I think she was a little sue happy, I think, later on in her life. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of legal troubles. A lot of legal troubles, Mm -hmm. yeah. She would uh, end up moving to Florida in actually 1981 because her eyesight began to fail her, unfortunately. Mm. I know. And, um,. When her elder son, and yes, she had children, and I'll get to that in just a moment. Um, when he was 12 years old, they actually became estranged, and uh, they wouldn't speak again for 50 years. Yeah, she even left him out of her will. Wow. Yeah. That's a really, really sad story. Yeah. I wonder what could have happened. I don't know. I couldn't find anything No, I'm it. sure. That's very personal but very personal. that's a, a 12 years old to be like you know what mom i'm not gonna talk to you yeah and, and he ended up living with like another family oh my gosh yes and towards the end of her life she became completely secluded and only uh, began speaking to other people by telephone mostly wow yes and this this is interesting because you mentioned before when she's younger and she's kind of in the prime of her career she has a fear of crowds yes so that type of anxiety can increase over time especially if left untreated it sounds like she developed some maybe agoraphobia that's what i was thinking too that's so sad it's almost like i'm married to a psychotherapist it's almost like you listen to me talk about this stuff all the time like all the time oh my gosh i feel so bad though obviously we don't know what happened between her and her son but i would also guess that i mean everything she's been through in her life would lead to some sort of trauma history. Yeah. And that probably didn't help her as a mom. Exactly. No, I seriously doubt it. That sucks so much. So she would eventually die 
on January 19th in the year 2000 at the age of 85 years old. She lived a long life. She did, yeah. And before I conclude this week's episode, I also want to point out a few interesting things about her that just honestly didn't fit in the narrative, but I just thought were noteworthy. Yeah, tell us. So I only mentioned one husband, but get this, she was actually married six times in her life. Like your grandpa. Wow, thank you for saying that. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) like my grandfather. Do not ask, weirdos. Do not ask, because I'm not going to answer. And like Elizabeth Taylor, right? Yes, Elizabeth Taylor. They're contemporaries, and she's also married a bajillion times. Yeah, I, I must be a thing with like Hollywood, or you know, golden age Hollywood actors and actresses. I don't know. That's so interesting. Yes, so she would end up actually having three kids, one adopted and two biologically with her third husband. Okay. And there is a little bit of con- or a bit of a conspiracy here because. It's thought that she actually conceived her quote-unquote adopted child with her third husband while or right before being married to her second husband. Oh. And that's the one that quote-unquote adopted one is the one that uh, got estranged from. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I could see that. I could definitely see that. And especially con- back then. quote-unquote conspiracies back then often tended to be have a lot more truth than the ones today. This is so interesting. You know... Uh, and I don't know if this came up in your research or if you're about to tell us, but she, she her life sounds extremely similar to um, the book The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Yes, I was gonna just about to mention that. Yeah, really. Yes, it sounds. I mean, so do a couple other actresses like Rita Hayworth. Her mm-hmm. life story also reminds me a little bit of Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, but this one a ton. It, it I was... wonder if this is who was inspired. Who inspired it? Right, I wonder because like. Every marriage only lasted like a few years typically. Same with Evelyn Hugo. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes like as little as like one year. Yeah. And it's like, oh man, that's that's crazy. That's so interesting. And even the like issues that like the kids scandals and stuff like that. If Weirdos, if you haven't read The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, it's a very good read. Okay. It's really interesting. It's the woman is telling the story of her life as like this big bombshell oh this is the part that reminded me the most of it the controversy with the film ecstasy yes really there's almost an exact situation like that in the book i wonder she must have at least played a part of like the inspiration of evelyn hugo yes because evelyn hugo this is not a big spoiler she's not um central european she is american of cuban descent Mm. but she's white passing and that's how she's able to she changes her name and she dyes her hair blonde and that's how she's able to make it big in right. Hollywood and she also gets typecast. As like a foreign seductress. Not a foreign. They really wanted to play her up as an all-American girl. Oh, okay. She gets typecast as like a, a bombshell. Okay. So like a Marilyn really Monroe. Yeah. Like Marilyn Monroe. Really similar. And it's always interesting to me to look into Hollywood history because it's just so Icky. It's really icky. There's no better word for it's it. It's so gilded. Yeah, like there is so many like you look at like some of the the artwork that just came from there is incredible, right? The films and and mainly films like are just so good. Mm-hmm. But then you just hear about these stories and like ugh. Yes, like why why was it so skeezy? Why were the studios so controlling and corrupt? Yeah, it's because uh, I know I think it was in the 60s or 70s there was a big legal battle and the studios got basically got um, cut up oh. antitrust lawsuits oh yeah. yeah you're right really interesting stuff actually but I'm not gonna go down that rabbit hole <laughs> <laughs> that should be like my tagline not gonna go down that rabbit hole <laughs> I'm gonna swear. make you a shirt <laughs> yeah oh that 
Let us know if that's a good merch idea, guys. If you guys think of any good merch ideas, let us know. Yeah. Okay, a couple more bullet points, too, because I think they're super interesting. She, yes. She invented a type of fluorescent dog collar. What? Yes. Also, she uh, proposed modifications to the Concorde supersonic jet at the time. Oh, my God. Yes. Just for fun? And a, Yeah, just for fun. And a new type of stoplight for... That was never implemented. Not, I don't think either of these three things were implemented, but like she came up with the idea. Of I these. bet these things were not even taken under consideration, to be no. honest. A Hollywood actress sent in these suggestions. I bet the guys laughed. Right, exactly. That sucks so much. I could see, again, why she would have had mental health issues. It sounds like she really just wasn't challenged enough in life. Yeah, or... And- and not taken seriously. Exactly. I can't imagine just being like almost gaslit like that. Yeah. Despite being a literal genius. Because you're so pretty, there's no way you're this smart. Right. And she was. She wow. literally was. Um, and also, interestingly enough, she became a U.S. citizen actually in 1953, you know, well after her mm-hmm. efforts to help her adoptive country win World War II. And lastly, our girl was adopted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame oh. for the development of her. Uh, frequency hopping technology in 2014. That's amazing. Yeah. So That's she, so recent. She, at least, like, you know, even though it was posthumously, she was, like, recognized as, like, an, an amazing inventor. Yes. And she's sometimes, oftentimes, actually, given the moniker, the mother of Wi-Fi. Oh, my God. I know. Isn't that amazing? And, guys, weirdos, Stephanie, that is the incredible life of Hedy Lamar. This is also so nuts that this is the story that you chose to tell this week because my favorite type, <laughs> I'm sure I've said this before, of books to read are usually historical fiction. Mm-hmm. And Audible recommended to me a book, a fictionalized version of Hedy Lamar's life. Wow. I just remembered that this week and I have it saved on my wish list. But I loved hearing it from you first because now I'm going to, I'll probably listen to the book at some point and now I'm going to go into it. With a lot more knowledge. Yes, you will have at least the the basics of the like a real life. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing Hedy Lamar's life story with us. Absolutely, it was my pleasure to actually research her. Of all the the people that we've done, I'd say she's a, probably one of my favorite characters mm-hmm. that we've really looked into. Very, very much a weirdo in the best sense. Yes, absolutely. You know, she had a little bit of you know complications here or there, but I mean, who doesn't, right? But ultimately, I think she was a weirdo and that she was certainly well ahead of her time. Yes, I'm sure that really was hard. Yeah. To just be so ahead of your time. Because if she were to... Like, and to be a woman and ahead of your time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. If she were to come of age today, I think her she'd technological be, prowess would be taken much more seriously. Yeah, she'd be way more appreciated. Yeah, exactly. I think she'd probably be like idolized, if anything. Yeah. But anyways, before we close out, I just want to name my sources for the week. We had womenshistory.org, biography.com, the Smithsonian Magazine, who they follow me on TikTok. Oh, just, just a humble brag. Humble brag. <laughs> Not Smithsonian Magazine, just the Smithsonian. Wow, even better. Even better. <laughs> <laughs> the New York Times, The New Scientist, and of course, our favorite Wikipedia. Thank you so much for sharing this. And thank you, weirdos, for listening to another episode of our podcast. Please be sure to follow us on Instagram, if you don't already, at History for Weirdos. As always, I'm going to ask you to rate, review, and subscribe. You all have helped the podcast grow so much. Please continue to do so. Please continue to do so. And if you haven't already, you can find our ep- or our article that was in 
Shout out LA. Thank you. Uh, in our bio or in our bio on Instagram. The yes, link to it. we pinned the post on our Instagram, and the link is in our bio if you want to read about that. And until next time, weirdos. Adios. Bye.